ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. This is Ignition. Welcome to Ignition. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald. And I'm Father Andrew Dickinson. And Father and I are looking at each other. This is sort of uncomfortable. Father. This is awkward. We are actually... Not going to lie. We are... <laughs> not gonna I lie. hope not, priest. <laughs> Father and I are recording this episode live, which we've done before, but recording it live. On location. We always record it live, don't we? Really? What does that mean? I have no... Well, we're not broadcasting live, so I think recording live kind of is beside the point. Yeah, exactly. Is this so anyway, we stop the podcast? Uh, we, stop the- <laughs> <laughs> we push on through the awkward moments oh, okay. of what's going on here. Uh, no, we are recording this, as Father just said, on location um, at the Pius the... Pius the 12th. 12th. Nope, Venerable. Venerable Pius... I guess that's not the name, though, is it? The... Uh, no, it's a Pius XII Newman Center. It's not venerable, but he himself he is. He himself is. Venerable. Yeah. Well, okay, perhaps this is the August Pius XII Newman Center, maybe? It's Pius XII Newman Center. Okay, all right. In Brookings, which, as you know, if, you, if you've listened to the podcast before, um, I ask, I tell Father how the weather is in Sioux Falls. He tells me how the weather is in Brookings. It's snowing in Sioux Falls, I heard. There was snow this morning in Sioux Falls. May 1st, Feast of Jesus. So, yeah. Feast of St. Joseph the Worker. And uh, the feast of the dedica- uh, anniversary of the dedication Nin- of the cathedral. Yep. 97 years ago, our cathedral was dedicated. Rededicated two years ago? No, only the altar. No, consecrated. New altar was consecrated. Yes, thank you. That's what priests are here for, folks. To correct Correcting you. Jumping on your mistakes. theologians. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Speaking of which... Ah! <laughs> correcting... Yeah. Okay, so uh, we're recording, and what, what I propose to Father we talk about is the, the question of, and place, rationale, and purpose for authority within the church, particularly teaching authority. Um, on the internet of late, I've, I've had some uh, interesting conversations, good, honestly, I'd say good conversations, with um, Catholics who, who struggle with aspects of what the church teaches. And Father, as a priest for several years now, I'm sure you've had that experience. Once or twice. Yes. A week. (laughs) So, you know, people, uh, typically good people who just are uh, struggling with or even frustrated with um, some of the church teachings that are particularly, I think, countercultural in where we live, United States, uh, in the first world. So things like, you know, contraception or or uh, reservation of priesthood to men alone, those sorts of, of things. And, and I, what I saw in these conversations with different people is, is, is the, this recurring theme of um, the role, not in so many words, but basically the role of the magisterium. The, the, the idea that there is an authorized, divinely protected teaching office within the church. Right, which is what's what you mean by magisterium. Magisterium is... Uh, kind of a technical word mm-hmm. comes from the Latin word magister, uh, teacher, teacher. Uh, and so the idea of a, an office of teaching and uh, and protection uh, in that way to protect the teaching of the church. Yeah, and so you know a lot of people today, um, in my experience, not just these conversations, more broadly, just have this sort of the, the implicit idea, and they usually don't articulate it this way, but it seems that they have the implicit this implicit idea that. The church makes up her teaching. And, and to put it less, you know, the church um, 
decides, the Pope and bishops decide what we believe is Catholic. Right, well, well, that's something well, that is like baseball. Me. Well, like, I mean, we decide the rules of baseball. Right. And so we decide that this is the length of the field, or this is, you know, th- this is what a strikeout is, this is what a balk is, or... Or even you know, maybe maybe baseball isn't as good of an example. I think football would actually be a better example that way. As yep. you know, we just keep developing the rules and change them as we need it. I remember I, with that example just about a month ago. I, I think every year there's this committee of of NFL coaches and owners who get to say, and they said, okay, what? How do we tweak the rules? Yeah, yeah. And so I think uh, the understanding the difficulty for us is that well, that makes sense. You tweak it to adapt it, or um, especially maybe you tweak it to adapt it. Uh, I had one person uh, uh, visiting with me and. Father, I just want you to know this because I'm concerned there's not going to be any Catholics left. Yeah, you know, so you should know that uh, uh, you know not all Catholics are against, uh, or not all Catholics support this teaching. Maybe the Church should change its mind to be able to keep people in. Right, and, and I do think that is the positive intention that many of them have. That so that often they they do want they, they they struggle with the Church's teaching, and yet they remain in the Church for a variety of reasons, mm-hmm. and they hope and desire the same for others, but in order to do that, the Church needs to, needs to adjust the goalposts or something. Right, right, to make, uh, to, to make it more attractive yep. in that way. <clears throat> it's also kind of a, a business model as well, and the American business model, of course, uh, 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 dear listeners, I just introduced uh, Dr. Bergwald for yes. the first time in his life to sushi. Sushi. Uh, there's a great little sushi restaurant up here in Brookings. I don't get any uh, credit for saying that, but look it up. I think it's good. And, uh, you know, but if your restaurant isn't working, you do stuff to change things. Better location, better advertising, better products. We have all sorts of TV shows about that right. these days. Yep. Um, but right, but it's different in the church. Right. So, and and why? And this goes back to something you know. We and I, you and I, have talked on the podcast many times about you know, the dictatorship of relativism, to use Benedict's phrase, and mm-hmm. and that uh, Pope Francis himself, as well, used uh, uh, in his uh, inauguration. Right. Yeah. He did. He did also. Um, so, so th- this idea that there is th- th- these are these are questions of opinion. They're questions of truth. Correct. Well, also, and maybe a better way to understand it is there are questions about uh, the person. Because, mm. again, in the Christian faith, it's about that relationship with a person. Mm-hmm. And when you're in a relationship with a person, uh, there's always going to be uh, things that are true about that person to know whether you're in a true relationship with them. We've all experienced that where maybe we had an imaginary relationship with someone. You know, um, you meet that girl and you kind of crush on her a little bit in high school. And you kind of imagine what things would be like with her. And then you go up to, now it's going to be personal. Uh, and, then you go to dance, and then you go up to dance with her in, uh, in a dance in your junior year of high school. And as you walk over to her, you see that she's putting a, a, a dip of chewing tobacco in. You know, and so you're like, oh, I guess I don't want to dance with you. You know, and all of a sudden the person you you, you discover the reality of the person. Right. Right. Um, and so uh, that that was not the point where I decided to be a celibate priest. By the way. Okay. Um, but uh, uh, but yeah. So I mean. So you can have this imagined relationship with a person, but you have to have a real relationship with the real person. Right. And and, and, and that's uh, and so there has to be some way for us to know whether we're in a real relationship with the real Jesus. And I think part, you know, and, and as you say that, it reminds me of, of, of one of the conversations I was having with, with one of these people, um, that, that it's all too technical and too much high-fluent theology, et cetera, et cetera. And the gospel is simple. And it is. 
And yet, this is God we're talking about. Yeah. So, so we're not saying that that the articulation of the gospel has to be full of technical theological jargon. But the point is, as we as we reflect on who God is, mm-hmm. and there have been various challenges to what do we believe throughout history? Yeah. Well, God is simple, but we aren't. Right. You know, and because of our sin, because of our complexity and the brokenness of sin and the way that we engage the world, we complex it up. Yep. And so, and then that's where the difficulty comes from. Yep. And, and, and then even as we rationally reflect uh, on who God is, it's going, even though he is simple for our limited intellect to understand him, it's going to be, you know, we, we start using terms like, so for instance, consubstantial, that's a very complicated term. Right. It is, it is a complicated term. Um, but it, re- it reflects the reality of the persons right. in this case. Right. And it, uh, it's a good term. But, um, uh, sorry, that's bad radio. Um, <laughs> you're, you're, you're right. And, 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 so, and, and also, to for us to grasp the simplicity of God, too, because that's also going on in right. this. You know, uh, we're using our language, 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 our English language, which uh, or our Latin language or our Greek language or whatever language we're using, which doesn't count your limits, but it's the best thing we have. And it's the only thing we have. Yeah. And uh, and also, too, you know, well, God's simple. But yes, but we were created with minds um, that we want to know the the full richness of his simplicity. And this goes back to a relationship and the example you're just giving. We want to have accurate knowledge of God. And we want to have more and deeper knowledge of God. Dr. Bergwald, you're a married man. Yes, I am. Um, Happily. (laughs) Very happily married. In fact, you now have a new uh, way to take uh, your uh, bride on a date. Yes. This is sushi. Sushi. And so, um, but uh, you don't have to go to Brookings for that, though. And so... uh, um, but your relationship, the, the, the essence of the relationship is simple. Right. I choose you, you choose me. You guys yep. said that to each other yep. on your wedding day. Yep. Now, the reality of that relationship, is that simple as well, or is there complexity? Complexity. And then, too, there's a beautiful complexity that you get to know in your bride. Yep. Just of her richness and fullness yep. of who she is. Yep. Yeah, and that's, it, it, absolutely. I, I've, thought, I've thought, a couple of years ago, sort of almost an epiphanaic moment, a moment of epiphany, when I... I I will never know her completely. Hmm. Never. Yeah. And she's a creature. Yes. If I will never know her as a creature completely, how will I ever know? And yet, I continually strive to know my wife better. And as you know, the more complex things are, the more the richness of her in that way, um, it stays true to that root of who she is. Exactly. In the, in the same way with our relationship with God, it stays true to that root of who he is. Yep. So, so there's, so yes, it can be technical and theological, but that's just because we're trying to understand him so that we can love him. Or, you know, in the church, this is particularly, I think, Dominican Franciscan thing, this, which comes first, the will or the intellect, yeah. knowledge, love, and it's sort of a chicken and the egg. And again, you can, theologians can argue about these things, but the point is, you need them both. You do. Yeah, it, it has to be both. And then that becomes where, um, the magisterium, the teaching authority of the church comes is to provide that referee or that guidance. And and again, even that isn't something we created ourselves. And it makes sense, if you think about it this way, because of the beauty of the richness of God in his simplicity, mm-hmm. that if he wants us... Because the whole point of the Christian faith, the simple point, is 
this is eternal life, right? Uh, to know God and Jesus Christ, whom He has sent. Right. Okay. It's the point of the life. And so, if that is the point, real knowledge of a real person, there has to be some guidance for us to know. Because the worst thing in the world would be to think you know the real God and to not know them. Right. That'd be the worst thing in the world. To think you're in love and to think that you're uh, in a love relationship with the real God and you're not with the real God. Because he puts chewing tobacco in his lips. Oh, wait, no, that makes a metaphor, sorry. That's a very nice metaphor. <laughs> and so, it was traumatic, okay? I'm, I'm sure it was. <laughs> I imagined it. I'm like, oh, anyway. Anyways, all right. Yeah, I was like 10 feet away from asking her for a slow dance. Uh, yeah. yeah. At least that's how I remember it. But anyways. It might so, have embellished over time. But in a good way, I think. Okay. Uh, so, so, yeah, so that, that's why we have this to, to grow in relationship with God. This is, all of this is about enabling us to know him and love him more. Right. And as you said, you, and you mentioned something, um, and we didn't invent this system. No. This magisterium thing. Well, it, it was given to us by Jesus Christ himself. Exactly. This is God's initiative. Yes. Now, you could quibble about how it's lived out. Right. And I think and there's room for that discussion, but even that discussion itself has some rules and some guidance. Yep. Uh, Pope uh, Blessed, soon to be Saint, uh, John, apparently soon to be Saint John Paul II, mm-hmm. Uh, actually, uh, himself in a document from the 1990s, Unt Unum Sint, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that, that they may be one, uh, said, you know, there is room for discussion of how the primacy of Peter is exercised right. within the magisterium. So the primacy church. of Peter, the role of the Pope and the office of Pope within the universal church. Right. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and so he invited discussion in that way. So it's interesting to see the places where the church does invite discussion yeah. in that way. Uh, very wise, and the church being wise and pretty, you know, so they didn't like call a committee, have a discussion, promulgate a new idea a year later. Yep. You know, it's just it's an invitation to that, um, and that he himself, just in the way that he governed, and uh, uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict, and then Pope Francis, I think, in the way they govern, uh, experimenting in, in a proper sense of the term and living that out. Um, but uh, uh, so he has given us that magisterium, and that's. Uh, that teaching authority, the structure of bishops. Uh, I remember reading a wonderful book, uh, uh, From Apostles to Bishops, by a Jesuit a historian, uh, and I read this in the seminary. I, I don't remember much more about it, I'm just like, calling up to mind right now. But it was a really interesting book, it just talked about uh, that, that, looking at that historical movement in the church, of uh, the apostles understanding themselves uh, not just as um, uh, uh, proclaimers of the gospel, but also protectors of the flock. Mm. And that way to guide to guard the flock, and the very name itself of bishop of shepherds to protect the flock. And, and what are we protecting again? You know, um, we're protecting it so that we can know the true Jesus Christ, uh, uh, and to have that real life giving relationship with Him. Um, because if it's not a real relationship with Jesus Christ, it's not truly life giving. It's not truly restorative. Uh, we we are not saved, and. Uh, and so we could go into the scripture passages. I don't know if we want to go uh, passage by passage, but maybe just covering, um, just we should just cover the general idea mm-hmm. that he's introduced that, um, and, and I think bringing about this idea of what the purpose of what the magisterium is. So uh, thinking about scripture and any particular instances of the gospels uh, come to mind. Certainly, you know, uh, I think Matthew sixteen and Matthew eighteen yep. uh, come to mind. Matthew sixteen, of course, with. Uh, <clears throat> 
Simon, uh, son of John, and the we believe the establishment of the papacy. Right. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I say to you, you are Peter, and a, which means Greek for rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And, and then that, that that last clause is in this conversation, the context of this this topic. That's why I focus on. I tend to focus on not so much the the role of Peter, but that Jesus says the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. His church, right? So to have that firmness, that guidance, because I mean the church is attacked. Mm-hmm. The church is assailed in that way. Yeah, and, and throughout history, so I, you know, very early on, you, you've made, the first major heresy was from Arius, but even before that, there were, uh, and, and often, and I think we've talked, about, I feel like we've talked about this too, or I've said the, these sorts of things. Um, it's not that and heretics are necessarily evil and out, like the, uh, the necessarily, wah, necessarily <laughs> that they're out to destroy and sever. Often, at least sometimes in history, they have been. Usually, men, men or women, trying to grapple with, and and the way they articulate it is simply wrong. Right, right. and then then the church looks at you. And, no, this is this is the faith of the church. Right. This is the faith. Of or Christ it raises up a new point. Yep. and says, well, okay, well, let's look at this, and we need to then to to discern and pray and decide. Right, and so so I, I'm even thinking of in the scriptures of the Council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter mm-hmm. fifteen, right. yep. where uh, Paul has been bringing the gospel messages to the Gentiles. And to the Gentile communities, and there's this question: Okay, do they need to become, in that sense, Jewish before they come uh, Christian? And so, do we need to bring them into the covenant of Abraham, which would mean circumcision uh, for adult converts, which would might have been a hindrance, yes, and understandably so. And uh, so, they had this discussion. Now, did Jesus say to them, you know, simply? No, but they had to describe, they had to talk about this yep. complex issue in order to free and to have confidence that then these Gentile people could enter into this relationship with Jesus through baptism, through the life of the church. So there's this discernment on the part of the apostles, and then historically, uh, b- b- the bishops, that is, those men appointed by the apostles to carry on their mission. And we see that very early in Acts. Uh, where, where Peter says that we basically he uses the term office. We, Judas's office is vacant. We right. need to fill his office. Yes. And so there's the the casting of lots is how they did it in that case. Right. And so the, with the whole idea there, uh, not so much the how they did it, casting of lots, but the why they did it. There's an office. And yes, this individual failed the office, or whatever it might be, but there's still the office, and we need to continue the office for the sake of the life of Christ for the sake of the church, for the sake of the spread of the gospel. So at the, spread of the, so at the end of Matthew's gospel, what Jesus had said to the apostles was, go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Uh, and, and so the apostles took that very seriously. You're about to say something. No. Okay. So they go out during their own preaching. Of course, did they expect that Jesus would come? Perhaps. Well, he's not. So the, the this needs to be passed on until he does come. Right. We'll appoint these individuals, these men. We'll lay hands upon them, and we'll establish the church throughout all time. And even imagine. I wonder what a moment was like. We don't have a recording in scripture, but when it kind of dawns on them, and maybe a couple at a time, and maybe they got together and talked about. It, I don't know. But like, wow. I mean, he's not going to come back before I die. Right. I mean, James is already dead. Right. You know, and I don't know who else may already be dead at this point. And so, wow, and this gift he gave us of an office that is not dependent on my personhood yep. as Paul or Andrew 
Um, but it's, it's an office I can pass on so that this same presence and Jesus' same authority to forgive sins and Jesus' same authority and the power in the Holy Spirit to uh, bring the Eucharist can continue. Right. I imagine that had been a, a moment of great joy and right. thanksgiving in their hearts. Like, you know, thank you, Lord, for giving us a gift that we didn't even understand. Maybe yep. the fullness and the full richness of why you gave it. Yep. So they pass that on through history so that that deposit of faith can also always be guarded and proclaimed. Yeah. Um, given away. You know, there's a, uh, a British scholar, Patrick Willey, a great scholar of, of the catechism, and he, he comments on the irony. Usually a deposit, when we think of a bank, we guard it, <laughs> but we give it away too simultaneously. Yeah. Just the, the, huh. the interesting nature of that. That is a, that's a beautiful analogy, and, and so you do want to guard it. And because and if you're guarding it to give it away, you want to make sure that you're not giving away false, uh, false money, exactly. false wealth. counterfeit money. Right. Yeah. And so uh, because you're giving away so that they might have this. Yep. And so you don't want them to have the false thing that's not going to uh, be any help to them at all. So we have this role within the church that is, but again, it's, gar- it's not printing new money. It's not or creating just, your own currency, or exactly, or alchemy turning lead into gold, or that too. I mean, now we're really mixing metaphor. Anyway, so so the, the role of the magisterium is simply to perpetuate the teachings that we receive from Jesus, and that's really hard. I think for a lot of these people who start with church teaching, that's hard because the implication is that we state explicitly the teachings of the church are the teachings of Christ. Yes, Amen. and that's you know it's not just not just what. Pope Francis or Benedict or John Paul II think this goes back to the apostles and before that to Jesus himself. The, uh, uh, we had this old spiritual director in the seminary, Father Ralph Drendel, and he was this wonderful old Jesuit priest, 80-some years old, and just seen so much in his life, tender, tender uh, confessor. And he'd talk to us, uh, how do we know if we're thinking with Christ? If we're thinking with the church, you dummy. <laughs> and he just, he'd say, you know, thinking with the, uh, the, the teachings of the church is thinking with Christ. Yeah. And that's a bold, bold claim. Yeah. Uh, uh, Father uh, Robert Barron in his Catholicism series makes that point when he talks about the church. You know, in the creed we say, I believe in the church. I don't just believe in Jesus. I don't just believe in God. But I believe in the church. I mean, yeah. that's, that's a little odd, you know, especially when you... Have you looked at this church lately that you're believing in? You know, I mean, that's a little odd. And yet, we firmly... And you, um, Pius XII wrote a beautiful document on this. The, 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 the church is the mystical body of Christ. And that, that the image itself comes from Scripture, St. Paul. The church is the body of Christ. Um, we read earlier in the Easter season the, 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 the narrative of Paul's conversion. And where, where, where Paul hears this voice, or Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? Who are you, sir? Who are, why are you persecuting me? Me. Who are you, sir? I am Jesus. Whom you are persecuting. And again, well, no, you're in heaven. You ascended. I'm persecuting these followers of yours. But Jesus establishes an identity between himself and his disciples. Yeah. And, and, and to me, like, once you understand that for Paul, you understand that as being like a key moment in his life. Then you start reading like Ephesians or some of the other parts or... Uh, his moral theology in Corinthians, you know, would you join a prostitute to the body of Christ? Right. You know, and he's not talking about baptizing and bringing a, pro- uh, a converted prostitute. He's talking about someone that uses a prostitute that in their own actions they're doing that. 
it's just you just see it's such a key thing for him and how that influenced then the whole church. Right. So that wasn't uh, you know a, a theological. Oh, this is a great idea. That was his experience. It flowed from an experience. That and even that experience then has a, um, uh, a connection, a root in Jesus' own preaching the gospels. Yep. You know, because he's saying, uh, "He who hears you hears exactly. me, right. and here's the one who sent me." And that whole idea, and that, I'm glad you said that too, because even during Jesus' public ministry. The, the apostles become extensions of him. It's not just after post-ascension, after he's ascended to the Father. It's even during his life, how do people encounter Christ through the apostles? Mm-hmm. Through the 70 as well. Right. Right. Uh, so the, the, the sending out the 70 or 72 in Luke's gospel. Uh, and even, of course, after the resurrection, uh, uh, breathing on them, the yep. authority for confession. Yep. Uh, I love to answer that, by the way, people. Why do you go to confession? Because Jesus told me to. Jesus did. <laughs> I just try to do what Jesus tells me. Which, why you, well, 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 Jesus, Jesus told me to have one. Yeah. So I just, uh, in fact, uh, a couple of years ago, I was doing a wedding. And uh, I've used this story before, but uh, I've used it. I don't know when I've used it. Uh, wedding with a, a Catholic bride and a, a Lutheran groom. And it was a, a particular group of the Lutheran church, the Apostolic Lutherans. Um, very faithful, devout to our Lord, uh, but of course divided from the church. Uh, uh, and the, the father of the groom, the Lutheran guy, comes up to me at the reception and goes, you know, I just got to say, uh, you know, you Catholics sure are lucky to have that whole Pope thing. Mm-hmm. You know? And as there was some time where there's some turmoil in the, in the other Lutheran churches going on, or maybe one in particular. And uh, I just, I kind of laughed to myself, and I I didn't say it to him, but I probably, I, well, you know, you could have this too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but he, he could just see in this moment that it kept us all in play. And even just to keep us in place so that we can do the right things. Yes. Instead of arguing and fighting over uh, this or that or the other thing, uh, we, can keep, we, we can keep it in, uh, in play on the focus of what we need to be doing. And that's where, for me, um, you know, we've talked, you and I have both talked before about our own journeys um, to, to where we are today. What I love about about being Catholic is that you know those teachings that I maybe struggle with or I've struggled with, there are reasons for them. But ultimately, I believe them because I believe Jesus. Right, and you're and you're called not to understand. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough thought, a tough thing in our yes. day and age. Yep. But you're called to believe. Yep. You're called to trust. Uh, I'm. I get to be receiving some people in the church pretty soon, and they're going to say that phrase. Um, I don't remember totally memorized, but you know, I hold and believe to be true. Uh, I, I, I hold and have faith in all that the Catholic Church professes and believes to be true. Yep. Um, and that's just a beautiful statement. It never says you have to understand. And you can work towards understanding. You should strive. We should. Right. And the Church wants you to understand, but at the heart of it is that belief. Yep. Accepting, in the end, the authority of Christ and, and trusting that this is knowing, embracing it, like, this is the truth, even though I might not, even though I might struggle with it personally, I might not completely understand. Um, just the other day, just real quick, uh, wrap up, I had an encounter, um, a minivan pulled up across the street, and two couples got out, and they started knocking on the doors. Nice. Uh, I went outside, and sat down and started reading as they, they were Jehovah's Witnesses. Huh? And so we had a conversation about this, and you, I try to be very careful because they're, in a sense, easily scared away. If, if you put up too much of a fight, they just walk away and want to engage them. But the, the, it, it came down to, well, how do we know what the truth is? That's what I was trying to get them to see. We didn't get there, but there's, there's always room for it. So, maybe they'll come back. Maybe they will. 
so with that, we will draw this episode to a close. Um, once again, I don't think I mentioned this at the beginning, but please do not hesitate to email me with any questions, comments, or topics for future episodes. Uh, the email address is cburgwald at sfcatholic.org. C-B-U-R-G-W-A-L-D at sfcatholic.org. And until next time, dear listeners, may our Lord bless you and our Lady keep you. And may Almighty God bless you all, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.